Hey everyone, welcome to the Urban Robot Cat Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Likens. I'm Chris RWK. And I'm Corey from Strange Cat Toys. And we're here for episode 10. We made it, guys. We totally have gone 10 full episodes, a do- or almost working our way towards a dozen here. So um, it's been a pretty crazy ride so far. And double digits. Look at us. Yeah. So I think that means uh, we're committed. <laughs> <laughs> Or should or should be, one or the other. <laughs> we're in it. So uh, while we're here, though, we want to make sure we take a second to thank the sponsors for the podcast. First off, we have Stickerfied. They made some awesome stickers for us, and they want to do the same for you. If you want to check them out, head over to stickerfied.com. Also, we have No Love City. Uh, if you head over to nolovecity.com, they're a streetwear brand that's been doing this since uh, 2007. And uh, if you use the code UrbanRobotCat at at checkout, you'll receive 10% off your order. So thanks, guys, for uh, backing this podcast and helping bring this to the listeners. So, uh, Chris. Yeah. What do you got going on this week? I noticed you've been painting a lot. Yeah, I've been uh, getting back in the, uh, the old painting saddle. I, uh, I got a, I've been working on the solo show coming up in March, uh, Two and Two Arts, and then uh, I got a bunch of other little, like, kind of... Um, group shows and projects I've been trying to just work on. It's uh, great to see you uh, back at it. Looks like you're putting out some uh, pretty cool work. I really like the stuff I've seen you share so far. So excited to see uh, everything else you're pulling together. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Corey, how things on the uh, at-home, working-from-home job? <laughs> uh, all, all going well. Uh, I'm trying to learn how to use ZBrush. Um, so I started picking that up this week. Um, I ordered my draw tablet because apparently you have to have that to model correctly in ZBrush. So, watching lots of tutorials. We should have reached out and got a, a sponsorship from ZBrush. We've talked about it many times on the show, and now you're a, a user. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Well, I think they have, they have people like from Hasbro and stuff coming to their, their like ZBrush summit. So I, I don't know how much of a sponsorship they give us. Strange cats on the on the low end of the uh, of the toy world is what you're saying. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> don't don't play it down. Come on, we, we've already talked about world domination with this podcast. How about you, Travis? Have you been up to this week? Uh, mostly uh, trying to finish up some stuff here before uh, Chinese New Year, as we've talked about a couple of times on this podcast. Um, Chinese New Year is when the factories pretty much just shut down for a good period of time. Um, so I'm just trying to get most of my current 2020 project samplings. Uh, complete before they leave and then hopefully by the time they get back we can approve everything and uh, start getting the production for the year done or started so um, been been pretty busy picking up a couple more projects as well so we'll see where those go maybe we'll have stuff for late 2020 on that stuff or maybe early 2021 so um, for the people out there listening um, when you're seeing stuff um, generally that stuff was prepared or prepped about eight months to a year beforehand so um that's kind of where we're at when you're on the production side of making toys. So yeah, we, we were just talking about that. The waiting, the waiting is the worst. Yeah. Cause uh, you know, you spend all this money and then you kind of like, well, what am I going to get? And, <laughs> and then all of a sudden somebody calls and they're like, it's ready to ship. And you're like, wow, this is awesome. I've been working on this for eight months, you know, or 10 months or whatever. And then uh, when you get it, you're like, well, I'm already working on the next three things, so you don't even take time to really enjoy the thing once it gets here. <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, that's just kind of how it is, you know. Because you've already, the time it's ready, and you know, for the the customer, 
the producer's already on to like five or six other things. So it's you know kind of crazy when you really think about it. But we are not here just to talk about what we have done for the week. We also have a wonderful guest joining us this week. Uh, what I will say is a very, very special guest. Um, many of you may know him from his paper and plastic uh, company that uh, releases many resins across the uh, designer toy world. Um, Vinny, how's it going over there? Hey, it's going all right. I'm in a Gainesville, Florida, and uh, a current slight cold snap for Florida is here, but uh, a welcome one, to be honest with you. The Florida weather is coming up again. (laughs) You know what? I'm all right with it. It's usually, you know, it's been going between raining and 83 to 85, and uh, I I, I like a little bit of uh, cold weather. I mean, I grew up in New Jersey uh, for 17 years, so a, a little cold weather feels feels normal to me at certain, at certain periods of time. I, I, for one, like the seasons. I live in Ohio, so that means we only have two. <laughs> but, uh, you know, occasionally we get a small brink of, like, spring and fall, and uh, usually it's just really hot and then really cold. So that was pretty much how it was this year, and now we're back into that, like, cold spell. So it is kind of nice, though. You walk out, and it's like, oh, it's nice and chilly today, you know? Being cold sucks. <laughs> Chris, it makes you feel alive. I hear the same thing about some other things in life. I don't know. What part of, what part of Jersey were you, were you from? And I, I, grew, I grew up in uh, Jersey City, and then I also lived in Woodbridge, New Jersey. So central Jersey. We're neighbors then. Yeah. In Staten Island, you know, we're right over the bridge. Oh, so yeah. Much- so the Staten Island Bridge, you know, Jersey was great growing up. But when I started to get older, it'd be a we're going to go into New York City, we're going to go over to Brooklyn, we're going to go to Staten Island, and it was definitely a traveling thing. You hop on a train or, you know, a friend has a car and you, you kind of go exploring. And uh, Florida, it's a bit of a different hang. It's harder to explore because things are a bit farther away. It's not like when I was growing up where everything's a bit tighter, so you can kind of, and denser. There's, there's pockets to go explore to. Florida's a bit different. Yeah, it's definitely one of those states that you need a car. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> definitely confuses people like, you know, people from like Florida or like the Midwest. I go into like New York City and I'm like, how do I get around? Even though I understand that, you know, there's the train and everything. But just getting the map and everything for somebody that's used to being in a car is like so frustrating, I feel like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, I just want to drive. I want to go from here to there. And you like don't think about the fact that it's going to take like, I don't know, you know, 45 minutes to go two miles. It's funny because, like on Staten Island, we always we we had to have cars too because it was everything was kind of very spread out and the public transportation. At least when I was a kid, it, it sucked out here. Like the buses, you know, barely showed up. The train was only on like one part of the island, so we would drive. And I was you know, as soon as I was seventeen, I got my license. So as I got older, and like I would talk to friends, and like I'd know people who like lived in the city and grew up in the city, and they're like in their thirties, and they're like, I don't have a driver's license. And I'm like, what are you? how I'm like what do you do you know, <laughs> it was just the weirdest kind of thing for me because i just you know i just assumed everybody got one and i was just like oh you're you turn 17 you get a driver's license that's how it works nope there's plenty of new yorkers that never get a driver's license yeah yeah my mom didn't get her driver's license True. until they moved to staten island she grew up in on the <laughs> yeah she grew up in like spanish Harlem, and she's like i never needed a car she's like we had the trains i was like okay then when did you start paper and plastic uh well, 2007 going into 2008 and I was recording a record at the time and 
just looking for something a little bit different. Uh, prior to that, though, I had uh, done some work with Funko, and Mike, who owned it at the time, mentored me through, it was called Wonderland War, and that was the first kind of foray into making some things. And at first, it started with Less Than Jake, and we wanted to do you know, just a, a bobblehead, but we wanted to just rebrand what he had, which was a skeleton that was in a suit. And at the same time on stage for Less Than Jake, we had a skeleton, a, a guy in a skeleton head and uh, a suit on. And he also blew fire and all this other stuff that you could never get away with now. Right. But uh, <laughs> at, at, the t- at the time we had that. So uh, I was in Universal City Walk right outside of Los Angeles or inside of Los Angeles, depending on, I guess, who you talk to. But I was in the City Walk and I kind of looked at this one store and they had just an incredible amount of bobbleheads. And I, I didn't know what they were. I knew what they were from previous things, but I didn't know that, Hey, there's a company that makes these new ones and they use some retro sort of stuff from TV shows and they have their, also their own uh, characters. So I went in and I, I, I bought this and it was a devil and I saw where it was made and who made it, and I did some digging. And I cold called Mike Becker at Funko, and I said, hey, my name's Vinny, and I play in this band, and I'd really like to figure out how we could do this cool piece of merch because we've done a lot of really cool stuff before. And I rattled off, yeah, we did a cheese-shaped record, and we did this pie tin with, you know, seven different records, and it all, like, you know, all these, like, projects that were small runs, but of very cool pieces of merch and, and merch items. And he snapped to it. He was a, a, a kindred soul when it came to music and just vibe-wise. He was very welcoming, and he said, we could do this, and we could figure out. And that was the starting point, really, of making Less Than Jake merch. And not only did we do you know, the skeleton with it, but we did smaller versions of the skeleton, that we did big Evo kids, and we did smaller Evo kids, and we did a bank that, that went along with it. And that led me into going, hey, I, I'd like to do my own line. And uh, it started out as Monkey vs. Robot. And even though there was, still, there was a, a book series of that title, they never did toys. So I went, I'll, I'll do toys, and I want it to be this. And then later I changed it to Wonderland War. And then when I started to put records out again, I decided to just put Wonderland War underneath the umbrella of paper and plastic. And, um, and that's what I've been doing since 2008. A lot of resin, a few production pieces, uh, graphic novels, vinyl records, and just keep moving forward and, and doing things that I love and that I'm passionate about. I've known Vinny from, I guess, back in the, the Monkey vs. Robot days, because you had reached out to me about designing a packet for one of the early releases. Yep. I don't know if you remember that. That's a long... That had to be like, I guess that was early 2000? Yeah, it was prob- probably uh, 2001, somewhere around that. Yeah, yeah. And then, funny enough, we actually, going back further, Less Than Jake played a birthday show I had at FIT when I was going to college there. That had to be like 90... 90- awesome. <laughs> yeah, so it's such a random, like, six degrees kind of thing, and, and it was that had to be like 96 and 97, yeah, it was pro- it was probably ninety seven or it was might have been ninety eight when Hello Rock View came out. It was somewhere around there. Yeah, well, it could yeah, it could have been ninety eight. I have <laughs> I have the I have the flyers though. It was like one of the funniest, like craziest things. Cause that Pezcor record was such a 
like a mainstay in my car. That album was just front to back perfect. Like it was just a great album. And uh, <laughs> seriously, I, I threw it on a couple of days ago and it was just like so many songs just bring back such great memories. And it was like, so like when you reached out to me, me a few years later about doing the thing i was just like doing the package i was like holy crap this is it's crazy <laughs> like surreal yeah absolutely i was like this guy you know they, his band played my birthday show he didn't have a clue who i was you know it was just it just happened to be you know the same weekend you know and we we, we you know we were putting together a show and we decided to make it the the straight edge chris and another guy who worked at the radio station for the college his birthday was the same time too so like we just like made it like a, a birthday thing and it was pretty funny and random i mean and we're here now. I mean, yeah. and you're right. It, it's been it's been a long time since we first sort of like had contact, and then kind of in and out of of other stuff. You know, yeah. uh, your art always on my radar, and you know, reaching out. You did like you said for Monkey versus Robot. You did it was the series two of of those toys, and you know what, man, that's that's just good. That's a good feeling to be able to kind of come back to the people that you've been in contact with and worked with. And that's the great thing about, for me, it, it, living in a creative world that I lived in it, and still live in, uh, finding those people that you constantly uh, are a touch point throughout that whole, that whole time period. It's awesome. Yeah, it's crazy. Definitely is. It, it's, it's definitely how it, weird how it kind of just always – it was funny too, because like anytime like we lost contact, like a new social media would come up or something, and then like you'd pop up out of like my contacts on my phone. And I'm like, oh shit, wonder how Vinny's doing. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, just looking uh, looking back at you know like all those bobbleheads that you made back in the day and figures and whatnot, they're actually you know really awesome for the period of time where those sculpt those were probably sculpted by hand. Correct? You know what? It, it was all through it was all through Funko. So that started that started out by hand and then it pushed through their their Chinese factories, right? So for me, I, I think that the greatest thing that has ever happened to me, and this goes through a lot of it, but it was that first time that you had an idea of going, I really want to do a toy and I wanted to do it of our logo and getting it in my hand and going, this is outrageous, man. I can't even believe that. Just a kind of casual, we really should do this to holding it in my hand. It, it blew my mind. It, it was the, the amount of gratitude. And I, I've said it before and I'll continue to say it. The amount of gratitude that I have for Mike Becker, it, it, it's, endless it knows no bounds to it he embraced some like lunatic that called him cold called him <laughs> on the phone and said i'm in this band and i want to do these things and he didn't have to do that and he didn't have to go on the ride that he went with me and and to be honest with you uh i don't know if that would replicate in this day and age but back in the early 2000s he, he kicked the doors open and it, to the to this day, nothing but gratitude and nothing but but uh, kind words and 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 I he was my mentor, still is my mentor for this sort of creative enthusiasm, right? And also, you know, like it, it's kind of the shows you the time at where Funko was as well, right? I mean, they were you know they were killing it at that time, but they were still kind of like a small company, right? Now they're you know. They still have kind of that small company mindset, but they're no longer a small company. Yeah, I mean, their office and everything is so crazy. But like getting in at that time, it just shows you know people with passion just want to keep making more. And I think that's a great 
you know, and somebody comes along with this great idea and they want to make it, you know, and that's just like the perfect timing, I guess, you know. It, it, it was, you know, it was right before Funko at the time just had been bubbling and it started to bubble over, especially in that store where I found it was sparky. So at, at that time, it was just they dedicated a window to Funko bobbleheads. And that's where I was walking by randomly going, what is this? This is blowing my mind. And and went in and bought one, and then that journey started. But on parallel with that, just, you know, I was doing uh, street art at the time, and I was in Less Than Jake, and we were touring. So that allotted me a lot of places to see and become friends with other people, and then kind of also get that, you know, teaching, uh, getting taught, okay, this is, this is what you're doing and this is what you should do, whether it comes to music or whether it comes to art or whether it comes to toys. It was a really, for about 10 years, a really good education uh, of traveling and meeting people. And I, I don't know if I'd be in the same place right now if I didn't have that ability to travel like I did for, for as long as I did. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, going around and seeing different things and different experiences a lot, uh, you know, a lot of growth, uh, within oneself and, you know, kind of can help launch, you know, from one type of, you know, focus to another and, you know, help you excel at all those different types of crafts. It's the inspiration, you know, it's inspiration when you, when I remember we played Osaka and it was the first time we were in Japan and it was the first show I remember walking through this covered mall in Osaka and uh, running into these small uh, toy stores and having my mind blown. And at the time, I uh, was collecting uh, Ultraman. And I went in, I was trying to find these Ultraman figures. And the guy behind the counter went, well, in, in very broken English, if you like Ultraman, you should like Pepsi Man. And Oh, Pepsi Man. <laughs> I, I, there was a, a Pe Pepsi Man figures and... It looked just like Ultraman, uh, but it was for the, for the brand Pepsi. And I went, oh my God, I can't believe this! So I ended up buying that, and then more Kamen Riders and and Godzilla figures. And I, I, it was a moment of just more inspiration and and, and feeding my brain to come back to the states and go. We have to do more toys, and we have to, you know, do these other crazy things that, you know, no one at the time went you know, uh, yeah, we should do that too. Everyone went, I don't even know how to do that. So yeah. if you could figure it out, go for it. Right. So uh, I, that's what I did. <laughs> even, even today though, like band logo characters, I really feel like they are kind of still an untapped market when it comes to um, producing figures or merchandise. Right. It seems like now, like even the band toys that are produced are, you know, kind of like versions of the people in the band and there's been so many band logos over the years that i'm like man that would make an awesome toy and it just doesn't happen no company takes it on or the merch company themselves don't know don't have the know-how how to make it. it it's awesome to see those you know the less than jake character turned into a bobblehead because it, it's a great character i mean it just is since you, you brought up uh, and we've been talking about the Evo Kid, right? That's what the, the official name is, the Evolution Kid. And the crazy thing about that was 1994, and we were that's when you still would get fan mail, right? So uh, we had a P.O. box. We still have that P.O. box, but the P.O. box in Gainesville, and you would get a letter from somebody, and you'd open it up and go, hey, I'm a fan of your band, and this is what it is. And Okay, cool. So I would go check the P.O. box 
every morning and kind of see what's going on. And one morning I opened it up and there was a letter and on the outside of it, there was a, there was a, a cartoon and it was less than Jake. And it was this like kind of tiny uh, little Evo kid jumping in the air. And then it was less than Jake, Jake, and then more than Jake. And it was sort of this evolution by the time it was more than Jake. It was like a rotund kind of like scraggly middle-aged man. Right. We felt, we fell in love with it. We were like, this is amazing. And uh, we reached back out and, and to be honest with you, I thought it was, you know, like a 19-year-old, a, a college kid, and went, this is great. Can we use this little kid with the Pez dispenser? Can we use that on T-shirts and things like that? And the kid goes, well, I talked to my mom and dad, and they said, okay, I'm 14 <laughs> years old from Denton, <laughs> Texas. And I went, oh, my God, really? Like, and I'm still friends with, with him now. His name's Pete Wansowski. And he, he was 14 when he made that logo for us, and it was just a, a piece of fan mail. And he just decided to kind of doodle on it, and we fell in love with it and, and started to put it on T-shirts and then started to put it on stickers and started to use you know it as our logo. And it was just from fan mail from a 14-year-old in, in the middle of nowhere, Texas, and that's awesome. That's, awesome. that's crazy. That is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then he, that, then it became a toy, you know, and and that's and that's sort of where it is, and that's again, I, I go with that that inspiration and you know moments in time and the the crisscrossing of of creatives world that we live in, I those are the moments that I live for, and Wes and Jake have have had so many of those, and me personally have had so many of those random crisscrossings that I, I it's a it I. For everyone, I'm grateful for, and for every one of those, it, it's a beautiful moment, you know. And and I know someone's probably going to listen to this and go, "This guy's a lunatic right now," like, but I'm not, you know. I, I, I think that if someone gives you their time in a creative way, that's probably one of the most pure things possible. If someone goes, "I drew this picture for you." not because you asked or not because you paid me, but I love what you do or I like you as a friend or whatever it is. And here you go. That moment is awesome. And uh, there's been tons of those things that have happened. And throughout the years, I, I never, I never, I make notes of those moments uh, mentally and I never take them for granted. I always grateful when it happens. That's an awesome outlook because it's a, uh... Most most people don't even think that way anymore. Like they just kind of. When my my dog passed, uh, a friend of mine, uh, City Kitty, he just did a painting out of nowhere for me. He didn't tell me he was doing it. I just opened up the PO box and this painting was in there. And that that painting, I opened it, it got me like crying. I was like, holy crap! Like first off, yeah. I'm just amazed that somebody did this without even like you know, no heads up, no nothing. And it's true. It's like that that. That honesty is like you know, kind of overlooked these days. It's telling, you know, for for the people that are doing it, and at the same time, just because of how email is and and the internet makes things so uh, fast paced and so immediate, sometimes it, uh, especially art and and music and things like that, if you can take the time and make it a little bit more the the slow and and kind of brew over it and and really push it out in the way that you want to, uh, that's, that's awesome when that can happen because it, it's not really, you're not really geared for that. And I, I, 
with, even with my daughter now, I'm a dad and she's eight years old and she, it's so fast paced, you know, and here, check it out. I'm going to do this. And then this is going to happen. And we're going to go on to the, the video game. And we're going to check it out. And if it doesn't come easy for her, uh, if she doesn't pick up easy, then she just moves on to the second thing, right? And the next thing or whatever it is. And, it, you know, if you go back, you know, 10 years or go back 15 years, you, you really didn't have the ability to go, oh, that doesn't work, then I'm going to try this. Oh, that didn't work, I'm going to try this. You took a bunch of L's before you got the win. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, think of, think of like, it sounds silly, but think of something like a, VCR repairman, like that, you know, you had to, you had to go seek this guy out, have him fix that VCR in order for you to use it. Nowadays, people would just throw it away and, and go buy a new one because yeah. it, it, that's what we've become. It's just like a throwaway kind of society and just like ready to, ready for that, you know, uh, that immediate kind of access. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's crazy now because even VCR, that's even antiquated. And the, <laughs> the, the, the moments of ownership are over when it comes to music and when it comes to movies and things like that. And being a musician, and, and that's where you make your money. And it took a, a, a crazy moment somewhere in that like 2008 to 2010, 11, where it went, what are we going to do? People are pirating music and that's a good thing because they're coming to shows, but here's a whole income stream that disappeared. So what are we going to do? And at that moment we were always a merch band, like I had said, but that's when we really kicked into gear and went, we're going to do X merch and we're going to move on and we're going to do these other projects that are fun. And we're going to re, re you know, re-release all this old vinyl. And then we're going to do that. We became we found an income stream that to replace something that was drying up at the time, which was music sales. And while at the same time, more people were coming to the show because they were listening to music more, uh, but we had to find another way to, to uh, balance out what we were making money on. So we just went full tilt into unique merchandise and, and very limited records and very limited t-shirts. And every time we went on tour, it was something different. And people started to show up going, what do you guys have? Oh, you have this little resin toy. Oh, awesome. You have this uh, limited to 50 uh, metal coin. Okay. That's great. I'm going to take one of those. And I'm going to buy one for my friend too. Oh, you have a glow in the dark Frisbee. You have whatever it is. We started to, really embraced the idea of collectorism and art through merchandise because we had to at the time it was drying up that pendulum of technology swung and it, it hit movies and it hit music so we had to we had to find something else to balance out what we were making right it's it's the adapt or die kind of mentality yeah and i think a lot of bands they weren't able to adapt, right? Like it, it just, the whole game changed and people that weren't willing to embrace something different didn't, didn't make it right away, you know, until maybe five or 10 years later when they figured they caught on. It's true. Well, they did the, re they did the reunion tours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and also too, now, if you think about it, like every new record that comes out that has any kind of like 
collectability to it. They sell a vinyl record, some sort of special color of that vinyl record, usually paired with a T-shirt or some limited exclusive item that only comes if you do the pre-order, right? There's all this stuff that they add on and people kind of caught on to that people want to collect this uh, product that's based on their favorite musicians and items that they sell. So you, you were kind of ahead of the game, I guess, in, in the late 2000s. So we, we were definitely ahead of the curve on it. And the crazy thing now, and I, I go back to, you know, sort of collecting toys too, uh, collecting vinyl had a moment. And, you know, uh, you go back about, you know, six to eight years, if you put out, okay, we have 300 of this one color and we have 400 of this other color, it would sell out immediately because people just started to find vinyl and it was a very rabid, okay, I'm going to have to have all the variants. I'm going to have to have everything. And it wasn't just punk kids that were doing it. It wasn't record collectors that were doing it because they still do it. It was this whole periphery of people that were interested in music that missed that physicality of going to buy a CD or going to buy a cassette tape or whatever, whatever format they, you know, they were buying at the time when they came into music. And so the crazy thing is there was a whole big vinyl explosion and major labels came into it and they were doing the same things that, that indie labels were doing. And now that vinyl uh, record buying public, that, that, uh, burst you know that that collectability that instantaneous collectability burst and the same thing happened if you go if you go back into collecting toys there was this big burst of uh you know dunnies and into the kid robots of of uh when they were expanding and just you know designer vinyls just exploding at the time and then that bubble burst that that oh man like no one's buying it anymore what happened and you started to feel that same idea in music when people went, Hey, I, I put out this vinyl record and it would usually sell out in a few hours and I'm still holding on to copies and it's weeks later. And I, I, I don't know who you could blame in that. Can you do you blame the people that are just mass producing these collectibles and, and hoping that nothing's going to change or is it something else? I, I don't know, but I felt it before on toys and I felt it before when it came to vinyl records. And uh, it, I always find it interesting that there's uh, parallels that go along with the, the toy side of what I've done and, and the music side of it as well. Do, do you think it's, do you think it is that, cause I know growing up, you know, I collected toys and I was into punk and hardcore and any of my, any of my friends that collected toys, they were into punk and hardcore too. Do you think it was just that common like collector aspect of it? Because, you know, I had friends who, you know, went to shows, but like grew up, you know, you know, uh, doing like football and stuff like that, but they'd have nothing to do with toys. I think part of that's just a will, a willingness to embrace it. Right. That's part of it probably. Right. Cause if you're into sports, maybe you have to be like macho, right? Back in the day, especially. I, I don't know, maybe played into the old stereotypes there, but you know, used to toys are for kids. You can't be grown up if you like toys. I mean, so maybe that was part of it. I, I don't know. It, it's very weird because there, there was a, again, there was a parallel of people that like punk music. They also were into comics and they also collected toys. I mean, uh, Super 7, if you look to see what Brian's doing, 
you know, it's playing to people that are my age and younger, you know, but playing into that 35 to, to 50 year old that's going, I remember this and, oh my God, it's a, it's misfits toys. When I was 19, I would have killed to have the Crimson Ghost as a toy, you know, or Gorilla, the Gorilla Biscuits logo. Oh my God, I, I have to have it. And I think that sometimes now as being older, there's moments where I go, I have to have that toy and it's because it reminds me of previous things and I'm, I'm willing to do it. But uh, if you're talking about, you know, the, the late eighties, early nineties, and then if you're talking about the late nineties and two thousands, and I kind of like follow the, those are the peaks and then there's valleys that are in there. I think it's just people reminding themselves of, Oh, this is what I really loved when I was younger, whether it was Shogun warriors or whether it was kiss uh, now that I can afford it, I can buy those toys, you know, and uh, I don't, I don't need them to be $10. If they're $70, I'm okay with that too, because it's something that I really want. And it's, I have disposable income now because I have a real job. I'm not asking mom and dad for it. It makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, speaking of which, have you seen the agnostic front figure that they have coming out, I think next month or March? I have not, I, I, I have not seen it. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. It's it's the demon from uh, that uh, that Taggart did for uh, I think it was the Cause for Alarm album. Awesome. It looks awesome. Yeah, but it's true. It's it's funny how there's that because I, I I'm thinking back in like the the late '80s of the the seven inch collectors who you know the colored you know seven inches mattered and plus like what was scratched on the inner inner part of the the seven inch mattered and yeah the production number like when you when you'd be able to throw a message. Where yeah. the production number goes to, like if you have like you know, I always loved those things. It was such a cool little like hidden kind of thing that you know those who got it got it. Like you know, yeah. No, I was gonna say with like the music because I mean you you obviously you're a pretty smart businessman. I mean because you've been involved in a lot of things that have taken off. You know, I mean I know you you know you had uh, you started Fuel by Ramen and that that blew up. I mean that was huge. Yeah. When did you start that? Uh, 1996-ish, somewhere around that. And that was just because I was touring a lot, and, you know, we would play these weird places, you know. It's like an Elks Club, you know, and like or some, like, Moose Lodge, and someone <laughs> asked a guy from, from Moose Lodge, hey, uh, can I hold a show with some, like, bands? And didn't say it was punk bands or didn't say it was anything, and... Uh, they would go, okay, cool. And, and we'd go wind up playing these like crazy places. There's some kids like two car garage in, in Illinois, right. In uh, only Illinois, home of the white squirrel, seriously. <laughs> right. You know, so we would wind up in these crazy places, but I would see bands and I'd go, do you guys have any music out? And they'd be like, well, we have like a demo tape, like a cassette tape. And we were duping them and my dad has a cassette deck. So we were just kind of like, duping them out of there and going to the, like the copy shop and doing copies. And there'd be some moments where you'd see a band and, and automatically go, wow, this is, this has, I've said it before in different interviews, but sometimes you run into people and there's an X factor that people have. And it, it doesn't matter if that person's going to be an actor or a musician or uh, an artist or whatever it is. Uh, you run into people sometimes and they have this magnetism to it and it's this X factor and you go, wow, like uh, 
we should figure out what to do and how to help. And at the moment, I knew how to, you know, uh, manufacture vinyl records, and I knew how to market, you know, punk music, and I knew how to uh, book some shows because those were the things that I that I was doing for Lester Jake. So I run into these bands, and automatically, when I would meet someone, and there's that that electricity to it, and go you have to do something. Let's figure it out. And there's some bands who went, yeah, let's do it. And then there's other bands who went, who's this like, dude, like, I'm not going to do anything with you. You're some like, you know, backwards redneck from, from Florida. Okay, cool. No problem. You know? And, (laughs) but at the same time, I'd meet some people and it would be so strong. Their talent and energy would be so strong that I'd go, yeah, this person is a person that I want to try to help as much as possible. And that's how Fueled by Ramen started. And then I had, I, I got a partner, his name was John, and he was very smart in business and very meticulous. So when I'd be out on tour, and at that time I was doing eight to nine months out on tour, he'd be there making sure mail order, making sure everything was moving perfectly in sync when you start to find bands and the bands start to take off and tour more and you have someone who's really paying attention to the ins and outs that's when a business really could grow and i i've considered myself lucky that i've had a lot of people go with mike becker go with john janik from fuel by you know and go i can name check a bunch of other people but i'm lucky enough to have worked with and been in business with people that really enhanced what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And I consider myself very lucky to, to have the honor of working with a bunch of very smart people and, and very dedicated people. And it allowed me while I was touring and kind of discovering different vibes and whether it be different bands or different ideas, uh, there was a whole nother contingent of people that were the safety net, moving things along and keeping things tight as things progress. That's crazy. So I didn't know that you were involved in Fueled by Ramen. I don't know how I didn't know this. Yeah, you know, uh, Fueled by is something that I started and then it, it ballooned. And then Warner Brothers sort of, uh, we got a, a distribution deal with Warner and it, it sort of ballooned from there. And then I opted out towards what I thought the height was, which was maybe a little early, but we could probably talk for an hour whether that's true or not, but I don't know. Uh, <laughs> But with that said, you know, and then I kind of reverted back and I wanted to dive back into some of the reasons why I was doing things to begin with. And that led to to paper and plastic afterwards, after after fuel buy. And the idea behind paper and plastic really was to to kind of go back to finding unknown bands and not really trying to sell a bunch of records, but finding things that I personally loved that I wanted to elevate and some things work and some things don't. And at the same time, the music business was shifting. So I also at the time, no matter what I learned prior, I was relearning a lot of things because technology was shifting and the music industry was shifting in a different way. So it was a a learning period on, on my part as well during that time. And at the same time, trying to find bands and, and push them in the right direction uh, it was slightly trying. I also divorced prior to that. So, and when I mentioned, oh yeah, you know, the people that held it down, my first wife, I, she held down the fort of being home and paying bills and all that. 
So when I was faced with all of those things that I had to do as well, you really started to miss that like carefree, like, Oh, I don't, I don't need to worry about any of that stuff. I just have to worry about all the cool and creative things, not paying the cable bill or the mortgage (laughs) or anything. Uh, And it it goes to show you that behind every sort of uh, creative that's out there, there has to be somebody also who's paying attention to all of the minutia and the small things, because that's how creatives work, right? You, you need that person holding that balloon that's waving in the, in the wind going every which way. There has to be a steady hand that's holding that string for that creative to really blossom. Yeah, I, I remember getting a Filled by Ramen like mixed CD. It was actually the first gift from my wife before she was my wife. She was dating some guy that was printing shirts for Filled by Ramen. Um, and then he would, I don't know if he just took merch or, or if, if he got it for free or what, but I, she threw me some shirts and I remember it like really changed, uh, the way, like the kind of music I listened to. I was mostly into like metal and stuff like that and like radio music, but I heard like the Academy is and 303, which I thought was cool and panic and cute is what we aim for. And that started getting me more into like the punk side and kind of poppy punk emo ish deal. So that's really yeah. cool. This was yeah, after you had Juggalo? Yes, yes. I, this is after Corey. Yeah, this is after Corey was a Juggalo. So. <laughs> That's great. Thank God for, for Few by Ramen. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd rather I'd rather be a Juggalo, to be honest with you. That'd be awesome. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, man. It, the, the thing for me is really that anytime that we, I have a discussion and it's in a roundtable sort of way, there's... A, a ton of very, very cool artists that are around and there's a ton of very cool people that are responsible for a lot of, of a creative energy that gets pushed forward. And man, that's that, that to me, like, that's what charges me up. And, you know, I ran into, you know, a few different people over the summer, not this past summer, but the summer before. And it really brought home to me that, you know, it doesn't matter. Like people have the ups and downs. And if you're an artist and sometimes people are paying attention to what you're doing and then sometimes people stop paying attention and uh, those artists continue to create, you know, just because someone's not paying attention, they're still, you know, people still get inspired and still continue to create, you know, and, and that goes with bands and that goes with people that are making toys or people that are out, you know, with a handful of stickers getting up, you know, and, and, and doing crazy stuff. And uh, just because you're not in a magazine or just because you're not doing gallery openings anymore, there's still a, a, a truckload of people that are still very, very vibrant artists that are just doing it for themselves. And they're in their room, you know, using scissors to cut out sticker sheets or a pro tools rig and just making records upon records upon records and writing songs and there's people that are out there quietly sneaking and, and, and spray painting, you know, these beautiful pieces. And, uh, sure. It, it's, they're not, they're not, people aren't banging down their doors to do a, uh, a vinyl toy with them or do a gallery opening or anything like that, but they're doing it constantly. They're not looking for thanks. They're not looking for anything. They're just doing what their brain, their heart, their guts, are, are, are telling them to do is fucking create. You have to create. 
and those people are still out there doing it. And I, I might be off, you know, tangent a little bit, but it's people like that that I run into that the passion is just like unstoppable. It doesn't matter. It's their 10th year doing it, 20th year doing it, 30th year doing it. it they just continue to do it. And, and if you're looking for like inspiration on Instagram, like Jim Madison, that's the dude that constantly creating silkscreen like posters and constantly doing cut and paste and, and making these awesome collages and, and screening. It's when I see people like that, that gets me charged to get my ass out of bed and kind of shake off being like, okay, I have to take my daughter to school. Okay. And I have to come back and I have to do all these things makes me shake off like that, like day to day and get inspired to go and jump into doing something else or learning to do something else. And uh, if anything, social media has taught me that like using it as an inspiration jump off looking at, and mind you, people curate that, right. But at the same time, like looking at it and being inspired to continue to grow and continue to push forward and just be creative in some way, at least once during the day, you know, and whether that's, you know, doing like these crazy, I started, I, I had okay art ability and then I started to pick up and I started to just draw skulls and then I kept on doing it. And for, you know, four and a half years, all I did daily was draw a skull and it didn't matter what it was and it didn't matter what it is, but now I, I've moved into different things, but on a daily, I try to push myself into something new on a creative level, whether it's being writing songs or whether it's doing lyrics or writing a book or doing anything. Sometimes I do it and go, wow, that really sucked. I, I'm a terrible, I'm terrible at this, but I'll do it every day until I'm not so terrible at it. I might not be the greatest at drawing, but I do it every day because I'm driven to do that. You know, the same thing as lyrics, same thing as anything like that. And I've been using social media as that like sort of inspiration jump off. Yeah. And I think um, that goes back to something we've talked about before on the show. And I think Chris's words um, kind of echo exactly what you're saying. That uh, need to just go out as a street artist and put your name or put your piece up on the streets. You can't take that out of somebody. That creator is going to want to do that, whether they're getting paid or not if they have that urge and need to do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, it, it's funny. I've had this discussion with somebody, and and it was about a project for, I forget what the company was, but the person basically kind of like, but not so, not, not in so many words, kind of made it sound like, well, you know, uh, if, if I didn't work with them, then I would be making a mistake. And I basically yeah. just, I, I just said to him, I go, listen, 20 years ago, I was doing this you weren't even thinking of street art or graffiti. I was like, 20 years from now, I'll still be doing it when you're not thinking of street art and graffiti, when you're onto your next project and your next you know, bottle or whatever. And it's the truth. I mean, it's, it's being, being an, you know, having, having, having a creative mind is great and dangerous you know, at the same time. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, and I, I remember when you were doing the skulls every day, there was so many that I loved. Um, with the patterns and everything in them. Um, yes. Just when you said that, it just made me think of that. You know what? It, it's it's crazy to think at a certain point, right? And where, let's say, stickers, right? And I 
I talked to Dave, right? And that's a mutual friend with Chris, right? Yeah, that, that's Dave, Dave uh, from Peel Magazine, just so people didn't know. I had met him, and he brought his daughter out to a Warped Tour show, and we did an interview, and we just were talking about some things. And t- just talking to him transported me back to when I, I found Peel and <laughs> was so excited to, like, okay, I'm, I, I don't know anything about this world, but I want to try something like this. And I want and I was so inspired by finding that, that, you know, I started to, okay, I, I have this whole monkey versus robot thing uh, with toys and with this. And I started to do monkey versus robots and keep a tally of how many monkeys that I would put up in each city as I would travel and how many robots and make this little map of like, Hey, in the United States, the monkeys are winning because I put up, you know, <laughs> 1,947 monkeys throughout these cities, and the the robots were 1,200, but the robots run Chicago, and the monkeys have New York City and things like that, right? So it inspired me so much that this is the idea, and this is what I'm I'm going to follow it because I was inspired by it. And now it, it would be just, you know, looking at Instagram and maybe I would run into that idea to get inspired. But at the moment, finding that magazine was like finding a piece of gold because it wasn't so easy to find things that inspired you. You had to be able to travel. And if you weren't traveling, you had to have a good bookstore or a good store that sold toys or, or art supplies or whatever it is. And that a firma, right? But that went with creative supplies that that you might run into and go look at this magazine this is great a giant robot i don't know if anyone remembers that magazine giant robot or not yep i used to Uh, love that yeah but man like that was for me that was finding that at a store was like finding a piece of fucking gold right and went oh my god look at all this and then being able to go to that store and be in the middle of that and has it come full circle, those things, really, that's the, the charge of it. And, and at the time, it wasn't dying up, you know, uh, MySpace or then later, uh, you know, Facebook or Instagram, whatever it was. It was, hey, I found this magazine and these guys own this store here. So I'm going to take a cab from Santa Monica where we're going to be playing a show and I'm going to take it up to Sawtell. Uh, where the, the where uh, the store is, I'm gonna go check it out, and then you see these like skateboards and different artists, and pick up these books, and that furthers your knowledge and 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 inspiration down the line by finding stores like that. And back in the 2000s, it was wild to be able to walk in a store and and pick up five books that you never saw before of artists that you never saw before, and went, wow, okay, and and then be able to move forward from there. It's an exciting time, man. Yeah, it's funny. I just posted a bunch of old ads that I had done for Peel, for Beautiful Decay, and a bunch of, like, these all these older magazines, you know, and and people would message me, and they'd be like, so this was a magazine? I'm like, yeah, it was a magazine. You know, Peel was a magazine about stickers, and they're like, there was a magazine just about stickers? I'm like, yeah, imagine that. You know, and it's like, it's crazy because I think – people don't understand the physical copy anymore. They don't understand mm-hmm. that, that. And it goes back to the, the, the toy and the vinyl collecting and the hunting it down and the making the effort. You know, you know as, as horrible as it sounds, I mean, even like what a subscription to a magazine, it, it gets delivered to you. You know, and 
But back in the day when you had to actually hunt down zines and hunt down magazines and find out who actually carried this magazine and you had to take the train or whatever to it was was part of the, the fun of it. It was part of like yeah. the whole experience of it. And and you know, and then I could turn around and, you know, twenty years later I'm telling, you know, my stepson about, no, you don't understand. When I when we wanted a seven inch, we didn't order it online, we didn't download it on iTunes. I had to go to, you know, Generation Records in the city and and get it there or bleaker bobs or you know and it, it's it's almost like like an urban legend you know it's like back in my day we had to walk 15 miles up the hill hey 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 don't well, go make it, it fun you know it, it was a it was a perfect treasure hunt right like yeah. it was hey I, i'm trying to find this well oh, we had one copy and now it's gone and then you you know you can move on from there and that that was the, the wild time you know and now, I'm not going to say, oh, in my day, it was so much harder. I mean, you know what's harder about now? The access of knowledge is there, but there's so much of it that it takes a lot to cut through the static to find the things that really, like, hit the points and it pushes to push your buttons to that. There's so much of static on, the, on your feed that comes through that it's hard to kind of just stumble on this, this discovery of this, you know, and a, a few years ago, there was a point where it's like Spotify, there's so much discovery of new music. And, and for a moment, maybe that was true. But now there's so much music coming out. And that's going from the smallest band to the biggest band. But there's so much that it's almost like white noise. There's no discovery. It's even further now to micro genres well i like ska punk with mixed with hardcore now and that's the genre of music that i like you know and the 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 great sort of golden age of digital music it was very small because now it's just an avalanche of white noise right and for a while that was the same thing when it came to street art and vinyl toys as well there was so much of it coming out and you'd go you know for me i'd I'd go into Hollywood when we were on tour there and there was a big Virgin mega store there mm. and I would go in and they had so much toys, books, t-shirts go down the line. There was so much from uh, so many different artists and so much stuff that I went, who's buying all of this? You know, who's buying a rolling pin, you know, weird, like monster rolling pin, who's buying, you know, go down these 10 shirts or whatever it is. And it was just, it was the, the beginning of the end where it was just too much, too much white noise, not enough curation went into it. And it just, it just burnt itself out. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, collectors, there, there is a, such a thing as collector fatigue, right? So maybe at one point you're a fan of this band, they're putting out cool stuff. Well, then your other band, the other band you're a fan of starts putting out cool stuff. And then eventually you have to decide, yeah. right, between those things. And once it gets to that level where you're, you know, you go down to the Virgin store or whatever, and there's all these things everywhere, people just stop because they don't know what to buy anymore because they can't get to the things that they really want because it's harder for the, them to see everything that's coming out. And, and, and funds are finite, right? Like, there's not, you know, there's not a lot of people who have just disposable income. Yeah. Uh, or the, the space. Space becomes an issue, right? Like, so eventually um, a collector, you know, they, they, especially somebody that collects heavy like that, where they just buy everything, eventually they run into that, like they're just buried in their stuff and they look around and they're like, I don't, 
have any more room for stuff and they just stop. That happens a lot in the you know the toy world, but especially in in collecting collecting things in general. What happens is I think somebody that's new to something they just buy everything, right? It's like I gotta have this, I gotta have that, I gotta have this, gotta have that, and eventually they get fatigued and they start slowing down or start focusing on only one thing or you know they focus on a couple of things. Uh, they start selling off some of their collection that they no longer want when they went through that extreme buying phase, and they they kind of become a quote unquote mature collector, right? Where they're curating that collection. But at the same time, the world has made it easier to see everything that exists in the world, and they can't see the things they want to see anymore because the change in algorithms or the changes in you know just the sheer volume of stuff, like you'd said before. So it, it is a real thing. Collector fatigue sets in. Yeah, I, I've I've been, I've been through it myself, and then fans of stuff that I've done, I, I know that it reached peak at some point where it was like. Dude, how many more T-shirts can I really own of yours? Right, like, <laughs> uh, so we have to figure out, you know, pivot in some in some way, right? And to get people to go like, oh yeah, pay attention. Like, okay, cool. Like, I have thirty-five T-shirts from Lust and Jake. I don't need any more. But do you have this other thing? And it it, it sometimes it worked to kind of shake people out of like to start paying attention again to something. A, a cooler item and and that you've thought about and that you've really like went this is what i think people would really dig and and finding where to make that and finding the manufacturer of it and being able to kind of you know pull apart the idea and then push it back together then have that final product you know and in hopes of people going i like that better than i like my 35 t-shirts and and those are the hopes of, of a band that's been around for, you know, 27 years, right? Or an artist that's been around for, you know, 20 years doing, you know, street art or, or whoever is being creative, right? The hopes of you've been doing it long enough that people are still paying attention, but being able to do, bring a different take, a, a different look, a different idea to the talents that you have and, and have people sort of zero back in on what you've been doing. Again, it's I I go back to all of that. It's that you could do what you do for yourself, and that's what you should be doing. But then sooner or later, there's other people that start paying attention. It's those people that start to become the the foundation of you progressing and being allowed to progress as an artist or a band or or whoever. Right? Those are those are the true heroes, and those are the people that that are responsible for allowing you to be, to spend more time being creative, to uh, grow, you know, to have a certain amount of growth and creativity and ideas and running into those people and knowing those people by name and being able to have a relationship. That's very awesome. And there's people that I know that have been around that less than Jake orbit for 20 plus years and seeing them when I would go through town or online or, you know, in my feed and seeing, uh, you know, they're like friends and family and more so than most of my friends and family are. I've seen them more times than, than some family members. It's crazy. Yeah, You know, it's kind of one of those things where once you build that following, it's just the connection with those people is just, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of humbling, right? You know, it's just awesome to have something like that. 
truth, man. It's very, very, very true, man. It, that leads to other people that, you know, may go, hey, I, maybe you didn't know, but I can do this very cool ceramics. Maybe we should do a collab together. Hey, I, I, I run a print shop. Maybe we should do this very cool other thing together. Yeah. Like this year, I, I promised myself 2020 is the year of reaching out to as many artists that I respect to try to do something together and, and, and grow and, and learn from other people. The 2020 is the year for that, man. Like for me, uh, I just want to say yes to everything that I am passionate about. You know, good ideas. Yeah, man. Like, let's do it. So if anyone's listening, want to do a collab, let's reach out, man. Let's do something fun and do something weird together. I want to get weird. It's 2020. Let's get weird. (laughs) So I saw that it kind of came back around with Funko and they did, was it two releases last year? Yeah, the, the Monkey Assassin, uh, the original one, and then the uh, white Crazy 88 blood splattered version. Yeah, and those sold out pretty quick, right? You could still get the white blood splatter. There's a, still a few around in their web store, but I know it's, it's down there, uh, shorter supply. That first one sold out very quickly. Yeah. Now, did they reach out to you to, to kind of rehash or, um, you know, reform your, yeah. your monkey assassin you know brian uh at funko uh, i i had a message from him and he said you know we held a uh in the forums they held you know sort of like what do you want to you know we want to bring some old stuff back what do you want to uh what do you want us to bring back and it was like a lot of people mentioned the monkey man and like is it okay do we have your blessing to be able to sort of do what we do to it, you know, sort of the pops. And I went, absolutely, man. Like, again, it goes back to the gratitude I have for Funko and uh, in, in the state that it is now, right? And, and the previous state when I first uh, called Mike out of the blue, right? Uh, much respect and much love. And yeah, it was a, it was a hard yes before, he, before I even finished reading the email because – uh, it, that's where it started. The journey of toys for me started. It's o- it, always with Funko. It's always a yes. And I know there's friends of mine that that are makers and creators, and they're like, Funko's everything wrong with with toys. And I go, <laughs> that's absolutely not true. That it, it's if it could be the inception point for tons of creators and introduce people to things down the line and outside of the Funko orbit then what's so, what's so bad about it, man? Like it's pop culture. It's what it is. And for me, because of the, the relationship, I say Funko Funko's fucking awesome in my book. And there's some people who go, eh. I go, that's your opinion, man. I get it. But I look at it in a different way personally, but I also look at it a different way because it's a very cool starting point for people to collect for people to get introduced to other toys, other artists, other lines that maybe they wouldn't have run into without the pop. Yeah, I don't, I don't really get the hate for, for Funko at all. Yeah, there's a, definitely a place for a company like Funko to you know make stuff that 
it's they're not making the same thing I'm making, right? If I was making like Batman toys, I'd be like, oh man, maybe I shouldn't make Batman toys because Funko is already making Batman toys. But they can get people that like Batman to maybe discover something that I'm making just because these people learned how to collect, right? Yeah. Because with with everybody kind of going away from having things and there's all the, you know, let's uh, decrease clutter and all this stuff, there was like a almost like a generation of people I feel like that they may not collect the way that like people in their thirties and forties collected. And that's not great for a collectible company, right? Like to be, you know, and Funko come along and it got people that were like 20 years old to start collecting. And it created a whole big bubble that designer toys are reaping the benefits of right now. I mean, it's just, it, it just is. Cause when I see my products, people a lot of times are posting them right alongside their Funko collection. 100% man. And, and, I feel that, and it, it goes the same thing as, like, you know, go back in the 90s where there was a lot of hate from major labels, but you know what? A, a lot of punk records were on major labels, man, and it's those entry point records that you went, yeah, like, I, I like the Ramones, and because of the Ramones, I found these other things. I love the Clash, and because of the Clash, I found these other things, and they were on independent record labels, and and... It, it just sent me into a path of, of uh, down the rabbit hole, you know, and I think Funko, I think that's the, that's the same way. And I think, you know, uh, super seven, same way, you know, if someone comes in and they, they go, I'm buying the misfits toys and they find these other very, very cool things that they're doing over there. I go, yeah, man, like that's, that's a great thing. They're doing a, uh, the other independent toy makers a, a, a great service, you know, by like having people that wouldn't be paying attention and now are paying attention to the world of collecting. And um, for listeners out there, um, if you are interested in learning more about kind of some of the history that Vinny's already talked about, but uh, other stuff with Funko, uh, there's a very good documentary called Making Fun, the Story of Funko. Uh, it was on Netflix. I'm not sure if it's still there, but I believe it is. Um, it's a very good history that shows how the company grew from you know, out of, uh, out of a garage all the way to what it is today. So it's a, it's a really good look at the company. Yeah. But a great, a great documentary, man. I thought it was awesome. Some nice lesson Jake pieces in the background too. If you like pay attention, like I, there's, there's some evil, evil kids lurking around back there. <laughs> nice. Very, very cool. Back to our, you were talking about like random misconnections, right? <laughs> or like random history, right? Back in like 2009, I volunteered at Warp Tour to like work the food tent. Okay. So you got to like uh, go and um, eat. You know, once you got done, you got to eat lunch, obviously, and then you got to go up on stage and be on, you know, in the background or whatever while a band was playing. And we chose uh, to do less than Jake. So that's random misconnection back in the day. It is. What? What? Where? What city was that in? Uh, Cincinnati. That's where that one was. So. Oh my God! Like Cincinnati, Cincinnati for me, it, it's always on Warp Tour. It always had the like some some of it was on the blacktop, right? And then yeah. some of it was in, inside the, the the shed. Yeah, the Riverbend uh, Auditorium thing. Yeah, uh, that year you guys were under the the shed thing, but yeah, the blacktop ones were kind of rough. Yeah, they're, they're 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 brutal, man, and not as brutal as in the '90s. It was in New York. It was in Randall's Island where. Yeah. Just a, a dirt, a dirt, a, a dirt dust heap of, of a place, man. And early Warp Tour, you had like really dusty, crazy stuff, and then it was blacktop, and and 
uh, twice as hot as it should be. But uh, definitely Warp Tour, again, go back to that like sort of entry point things. Warp Tour is a great place for entry point of alternative music in all forms. It was you show up there uh, in the morning when you're young and you stay there and run it right when it's going to get dark, you know, uh, it's over and you go about your business, right? But there's so many bands, and sometimes anywhere from, I think, 30, like 23 on the short end early on up to like 60 plus later. Uh, that's a lot of bands to be able to take in and vibe and and find something that really connects with you right like just walking around you can find something that connects i remember the the first year uh 95 it was the closest they played in new york was down in asbury park and i remember it was a great show i mean it was just like you had it was like no use for a name uh sick of it all it was like a great mix of bands and yeah. it, it definitely like it definitely had like a like a hardcore punk kind of you know uh, collection of bands. But then as it kind of went on, I think it, it started to spread more and more. I remember like Eminem was on like one of the years. I think it might have been like ninety eight or ninety nine down there. And it was cool yeah. how you saw you started seeing you know. And I, there's a lot of people who hated on like the younger kids in the scene and everything like that. But I always thought it was cool when you see like parents dropping off their kids so that kids could enjoy this and get into it. Like I always thought that, oh, was, yeah, a, that was a great thing. A lot of kids, you know, who a lot of a lot of people who don't understand that. But at the same time, it's like, you know, how else is people gonna find those those bands? You know, how how are they gonna find you know Down by Law if they're not there to see, you know, Blink One Eighty Two or whatever? That, that, that's what I'm talking about. It's it, it, Warped Tour was always the, the, that perfect entry into finding, going for something and then finding something else along the way that you never expected to find or probably never would have found if it wasn't for just going, hey, I need to go find a corn dog. I'm hungry. And then walking by a small stage going, who's this? And then finding a band you really like and that sends you ricocheting off of a blink 182 and then winding up at a mixtapes let's talk about ohio band you know pop punk band you know the perfect storm is you know going for something big that you're supposed to and then finding something else and stumbling onto something that you never thought that you were going to find and and finding something that you fall in love with it's great yeah and that's uh you know every scene needs those like what the you know, the quote unquote thing I use is like every scene needs their Beatles, right? The thing that everybody knows. Yeah. And then from there you find hundreds of other things that you just, you enjoy just as much or more, you know? It's true. I mean, even the, even the Beatles needed the beach boys, right? Like as far as like stumbling onto something and going, I'd never knew this existed. It's awesome. And you know, it, 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 you know, you find it and then you never thought you were going to find it and it becomes something even the biggest band like beatles they stumbled upon the beach boys and went holy shit this is amazing and it inspired a whole another set of music that along with it after they found it so uh that that's it's perfect perfect storm and it's awesome when that could happen you know and uh so, side note though uh speaking of ohio i when i was on tour like I had an email was just popular at the time and bear with me for a longer story. Right. <laughs> and I, I get, I get a email and it was from a girl and went, 
hey, I have these rare vinyl records, and I don't know what to do with it. I don't want to sell them on eBay. I want collectors to have them. And I went, okay, that's kind of cool, right? And I put, you know, in our newsletter, an email newsletter, I went, hey, this person has these records. Here's their email, and you can talk if you need to fill your collection out. And uh, that happened. And then I went, hey, by the way, I'll be coming through Ohio. Uh, that was really cool what you did, and I know you don't like our band anymore, uh, and you're sort of past that phase, but hey, you know, uh, if you don't want to go to the show, you know, let's meet for a high five and, and whatever. And she came out and that turned out to be my wife, uh, you know, much later at the, the time, the, the, the woman that I'm married to now, but Ohio uh, holds a very special place because that's where she grew up. She grew up in Dayton and then moved to Cincinnati. So S- small world. I live in Dayton. You live in Dayton for real? Yeah. I live uh, right downtown. I'm like, stone's throw from the organ district which is right smack dab downtown so yeah that's that's awesome you know it's uh she grew up in dayton and uh her dad's you know air force guy from right pat so yeah there you go yeah that's it's a small world it's awesome world but that goes to show again you know that this weird connection that you have even if a person who went i really don't like your band anymore but (laughs) i understand the passion for your band so let me help out the collectors and and that connection you know that wasn't necessarily a misconnection but it happened to be a one of the larger ones in my life you know warp tour one one note you guys hold the record right for the most uh, performances on warp tour yeah 440 something i think something like that 447 holy Jesus. I remember when that when that happened and I was like, holy crap, that is a lot of performances. <laughs> that that is a that is a lot of warp tour shows. And I'm not talking about like days off warp tour. That's that four hundred plus is the half hour show of warp tour. It's a a lot. And a lot a lot of dusty places, a lot of weird black tops and uh crazy weather and crazy uh, people and I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I'll be honest with you. I I, I look back on War Tour and go, it was a perfect training ground for a lot of things. It's a perfect way to be in front of other people who would never have found us and have that discovery. And it's what had us always going back to Warp when they asked, uh, "Hey, listen, Jake, do you want to do?" It? Yeah, because we want to play in front of a a 14 year old that really doesn't know what Less Than Jake is or uh, maybe less than Jake's their older brother or sister's music, and they're looking for something else. I want to play in front of those people. It's a shame. It's a shame that it doesn't exist anymore in the form of the tour that's going to tour around, you know, the United States every summer. And hopefully, there'll be a tour that fills in the gap and becomes that discovery tour of the summer for young kids and alternative music. It was just, uh, I remember when they you know announced it was going to end in that, that capacity and, you know, and you got super nostalgic about it and feeling like, man, this is, this is just, it was like, the, you know, the last of those tours really in a way, because the festivals have kind of taken over, right? They had, I guess they had to kind of evolve with the times, you know, cause I'm sure it's not cheap to run that tour and go all the way across the country back and forth. Yeah, especially when there is festivals going, hey, you don't have to go to Warp. You could go to, you know, Rock 
blah blah blahs and and you can see <laughs> another hundred bands and it costs this much you know and you know the, some of those festivals too it's like crazy like the just the variety of bands they'll have at some of those festivals you're like the same people that want to listen to this want to listen to that you know like <laughs> but okay fine <laughs> well, that's that's what i've you know that's what i see is that there is so much crossover now with with bands like i see my my brother-in-law you know he's younger he's like 25 or something and one second he's listening to you know horrible mumble rap but then he's also listening to you know pop punk stuff and then he's jumping back to like post malone stuff and i'm just like it's so kind of interwoven now with i think music scenes and i think that those big festivals that's why they do so well i mean you know something like warp tour you know even though you know you were able to find new bands, they were all still kind of in the same genre in certain ways. It was kind of like you know there were so many of those shows. I remember there was like the Snowcore Tour, there was oh, yeah. uh, Bamboozle, there was like all these like Ozfest, yeah, and like but they were so kind of music specific. And I mean, there's, isn't there the, the isn't there a Jungle Oat Festival too? Uh, the Gathering, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> there, there, there is the Gathering the Jungle. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but 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 it's so specific. So now I think with these festivals, it's such random bands that they get to play with each other, and these people—that's what kind of music has become. It's become like a shuffle, you know. It's like a iPod shuffle culture almost. Well, it went music. Music went from album centric to single centric, and as soon as. It sort of if people embrace this just one song it, it, and not really paying attention to a, you know an album as a whole, that opened it up to be, you know, jump from a Blink One Two song to a Post Malone song to a Slipknot song, because that's what they're listening to on their playlist, right? It's not I'm listening to a, an entire Blink One Two record and then when that's over, I'm gonna. You know, the Slipknot Iowa comes on and you listen to that full record. Now it's just single oriented. It's very playlist oriented. And you're right. It jumps around to everything. So people are more open minded to, you know, listening to new metal and then listening to uh, old Slayer track and then listening to a Post Malone track and then listening to because a Post Malone got played because of Ozzy. Uh, then all of a sudden an old Black Sabbath track comes on because of the algorithm. And you went, oh, and you accept all those things as it comes along because you're, you've been accepting that one track by that one band, you know, that headspace. Yeah. It's so funny you say that about the about album-centered, because oh. I was just trying to explain that to my stepson about how, you know, if, if we wanted that one song, you had to buy the whole album. And like that blew his mind, you know, it was kind of like, you know, so what did you do? It's like, well, you know, if it was a good band, the full album was good. But then there's a lot of bands that had, you know, three good songs and the rest was filler, you know, and, and it was funny just seeing like the reaction to that. I mean, it, <laughs> it's, it's, it, tr- it truly was like that, though. It's crazy. Yeah, it definitely made definitely made me feel old, though. I'll tell you that, which I was like, I was like, yeah, <laughs> the whole album is like, I, I couldn't even think of buying a whole album now. And I'm like, OK. No problem. Yeah, you have to be a fan to buy a full record, uh, not just a fan of a song, but you have to be a fan of a band to, to to be willing to go. Yeah, and they're not even really buying it, you know. Uh, 
now with Spotify, you could just add it with Apple Music or Spotify, but people don't even want to do that because they just want to cherry pick the things they love and not have to wade through a B-side or two B-sides or five B-sides for the four songs that they really love by this band on this record, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's almost, uh, you know, like sometimes the B-side or the deep cut becomes like one of the fan favorite type songs and it's almost like in the future i wonder if that'll kind of dissipate as well you know people just play the singles only at the concert you know yeah i mean i i think that it's really the way that it's going now if you show up to you know pop music concert it's the hits you know the hits with banter or the extended hit uh with banter and and but it's hits 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 no one's going for the deep cut i mean you could show up to a Dead & Co. show and they're doing deep cuts, but people are showing up for the deep cuts of the Dead & Co. You know, like, they're not they're not going, oh, well, just play the hits. Well, shit, man. Uh, there was only a few hits from Grateful Dead, man. I mean, uh, everything was everything was a fucking deep cut. And, and, and for me, that's, that's, I don't know. I never got into that band. Never understood. You know what? You know what? What I got into... And it was recently I got into the bootlegs, the art of of Grateful Dead, and the the community that does that. Well, yeah, right? that whole, and, the whole the tape trading thing was crazy. That yeah. Well, it, it, it's it's tape trading, but it's not even that. It's that uh, T-shirts and it's merch and it's that culture that you know. I I went up and I I went to the Dead and Co show. I didn't go see the show, but I went up and. I just kind of lurked around before the show and I, there's a thing called shakedown street and that's all of the tents that sort of set up, uh, whether it comes food or booze or, or, uh, t-shirts or whatever that is. And that community that was there. And I went and the amount of like sort of design work that people are doing and, and you could call it bootleg merchandise cause that's what it is literally. But, this sort of fan-inspired art uh, and graphic design of uh, that surrounds Grateful Dead and Dead & Co., it blew my mind. And the community, very, very uh, open to people that are showing up. And, and it was cool to see that because I haven't saw that since early punk rock scene that I was involved with, that people were, you know, strangers showing up and, and you were in open arms. Yeah, come in. This is the punk rock scene. We accept everybody. And it was very similar when I went in there, especially with Grateful, the, the graphic design of work of the fan. was awesome. No, that's pretty cool. I, I, I could understand that. It's almost that sense of uh, community or, you know, everybody's got their place. You know, I know how to draw and I like drawing and I'm just going to make this to create it because I think it's cool type thing, you know. It all kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. 100%. And, and if you could find, you know, communities and pockets of people that, you know, are, are actively kind of running after a creative headspace, I mean, why not kind of go check it out and peek your head around? You could be missing something and, and come to find out that I was, right? Like, I, I went there and went, wow, this is, this is cool. And, and the, the art behind it was generated by fans and it, it, it inspired me to kind of take a look at what I was doing. And really when I went 
when I was saying earlier about collabs with people, it was really coming off of that Dead & Co. show, that headspace of like, here's this community of people and, and such fan-driven art and design it blew me away. And, and it really kind of inspired me to go, that's what it should be. It should be the, these moments that you're reaching out to other musicians, other artists. You know, it doesn't matter if someone's a painter or someone's, you know, uh, just a, you know, a, a font head or whatever it is. It, you can learn a bunch of other things, but you can also uh, create together into doing something very cool. I got to ask, what's your favorite? Because you're from, well, you're not from, but you, you live in Gainesville for a long time now, right? Yeah. Because I know there's a ton of great bands that came out of Gainesville. What was your favorite, like, hardcore punk band out of Gainesville? Well, uh, I would go with a tie, and I would go with Hot Water Music, and I would go with Against Me. Both of those are are my tops when it comes to Gainesville bands. I mean, and then if you get a little bit of, like, oh, how about other stuff that's not punk? I mean, it's Tom Petty. Tom Petty's, you know, Mud Crutch started in Gainesville and Tom Petty was a part of that. And then he grew into solo artists beyond that point. But I mean, if someone goes, what's your favorite musician from Gainesville? I mean, that's Tom Petty. Tom Petty's fucking awesome. What's your favorite punk band? That's a tie against me and hot water music. Nice. Famous rapper, though, famous rapper from Gainesville, MERS. If anyone is, likes rap, but MERS is awesome. MERS is yeah. from Gainesville, right outside of Gainesville, which is crazy. That's awesome. And and I got to say, Hot Water Music and uh, As Friends Rust. I think As Friends Rust is one of my favorites out of there. Yeah, they, they wound up, As Friends Rust was from somewhere else, and they wound up for a little bit in Gainesville on the, the tail end of, of them being a band, if my memory serves me correct. They weren't a band that like started and generated. It was like Discount. Discount were from Vero Beach, but then they moved up to Gainesville, and then they continued being a band. Oh, I see. I thought they were from Gainesville. Okay. Well, they were, they were, but they originally were from Vero Beach. Ben, uh, then as friends, Russ, I forget where exactly where they were from, but then they came and and they did their thing. But you got to realize Gainesville's full of transplants. Everyone comes, everyone comes from someplace else to come up to college, you know. And then some people just came because the fest was here, and now they're moving here because they had such a great time, right? That's the, the so, F, was it the FYA Fest, that one? It's just, it, it just called The Fest. So it's been around for, you know, a decade and a half or whatever. And it, it definitely is an inspiration for some to move to Gainesville. Others, they go, you know, I don't want to move to Gainesville, Florida. Like, never. But uh, <laughs> there's a bunch of people who, who come here and, and decide to become transplants and move here and then there's other people who move here because they want to go to the university of florida and they start bands or they bring the whole band up because you know half half of the band are going to school at the university of florida and it continues there and you know there's a ton of places like that around the united states that are college towns and super fertile when it comes to music scenes and things like that whether it's you know state college pennsylvania or Athens, Georgia, Madison, Wisconsin, Champaign, Illinois. I mean, all those places have are great college towns and that are in, kind of in the middle of nowhere and with super fertile music scenes to go along with it. That's so, it's great that you have all that knowledge of that. And I guess that's, that's all from just touring for so long, right? 
Yeah, absolutely, man. It was a, a touring for that long. You know, it was the best education that I've ever had because you see different towns and different vibe and different architecture and different art and different just people and, and, and how people react to, to different things and food, man. Food's a huge, a huge thing when you're traveling, you want to go, what's, you know, take me to your favorite coffee shop or taco place or wherever, you know, I want to go to the donut place that everyone loves that, you know, I, I don't want to go to Dunkin' Donuts. I love Dunkin' Donuts, but I don't want to go to Dunkin' Donuts. If I'm in another town, I want to go to a donut shop that, you know, is completely different or a coffee place that's completely different. I don't have to be a slave to Starbucks uh, when I'm in Chicago, when there's, you know, two dozen amazing coffee places to be able to get coffee from, right? That's awesome. Yeah. Kind of out there in your, uh, your tattoo shop. I mean, you're three hours from me. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're in uh, St. Pete, right? Somewhere around there, right? In Tampa. In Tampa. Yeah. It's, it's about an hour 45 to Gainesville from where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, you know what? The tattoo shop for me, that's, again, it's that extension of, creative and it allows me to kind of have a storefront so I can a lot of enamel pins and some toys go in there. And it's weird because I expected a while, a friend of mine had opened a kind of a boutique. It was, you know, had a lot of like t-shirt brands, but it also had a lot of like kid robot and things like that. And that was about a decade ago that he had opened one Oh one is with name of the store. And no one in Gainesville felt that vibe. And uh, I know there's collectors and, and I know there's a lot of people that are interested in low art and things like that, but uh, Gainesville is always has a limited income because of college students. And a lot of them are just not spending the money, man. Like that. So uh, in my mind's eye, I always wanted to put more toys and expand more in the tattoo shop. But, it's just not there yet. You have to, to kind of educate people that are locals on what this is and why it's $60 and why they should spend their $60 instead of going drinking and spending their $60 that way, you know, or going to buy weed or, you know, whatever. Right. So it's a different, it's a different headspace because of the college population, you know, tattoos are tattoos and that's not a problem, but the toy aspect of it, the low art, the low art aspect of it uh, that we've been trying to push into it. it. It's, it's, we're in our fifth year this year of tattoo shop and it grows every year of the interest and, and uh, people coming in and, and kind of staying up and educated on, on that aspect of what we do for, for Wonderland. Yeah, I, I couldn't even fathom trying to open up like a physical store uh, anywhere in Florida except maybe Orlando or Miami. I think everywhere else is just not not there. No, and even Orlando, I forget what the name of of the store Dick. that was there. Something bought. This was going back a while ago. Uberbot. Yeah, Uberbot. Uber and that was that was awesome for a long time, and it was close to Winter Park, and that definitely where you know there's some money uh, there and and our interest so it worked there for a while and then it just at a certain point when the economy shifts a little bit it, it, the, the money just isn't there to have a retail store 
you know, mm-hmm. and I could never imagine just trying to open up a brick and mortar store in Gainesville that just was art and toy specific. The, the, the economy just doesn't allow it, but mixing it with tattoos, it allows us to be able to grow and be able to have a storefront and a beachhead to not only educate people, but to have stock that sort of someone comes in and, and peaks as getting a tattoo, but seeing this other piece from an artist and go, Oh, this is awesome. We should, I'm going to buy this. And then again, that's that entry point into a whole nother world that they just found, but they just wanted to get a, you know, infinity symbol on the, the, in, you know, the inside of their forearm or whatever tattoo, random tattoo they're getting. And they find a piece that they fall in love with and, and kind of go and, that's awesome when that happens. And if I'm there to be able to see that, that's extra awesome. It's, it's, it's funny that Uberbot, I remember how like they were really popular. And then I remember going down and, and doing a show over at um, Redefine. And me and um, Crummy Gummy were talking about them. And then he was telling me that I guess like the guy who had that opened like a bakery after oh, yeah. it closed Gideon's down. Gideon's Bakehouse. Yeah, and then that place like blew up because like, I think they, they do like cookies for disney and all that stuff now it's awesome, uh, wow. That's awesome. I, don't, I don't know if he does it for disney but i know he like oh it's they, no it's it's for polite pig or something that's in in downtown disney or disney springs uh, i'm not 100 percent sure I've, I've been to their physical place and like you got to get there early because they sell out of their cookies in i don't know three or four hours and people just buy them by the dozen sometimes more and it's like a six dollar cookie like yeah it's they're fucking, ridiculous like, they're, this guy this guy is killing it, but it's the best cookie I've ever had in my life. Absolutely. <laughs> like, awesome. I think he even does, like, pre-orders on cookies. It's still that same kind of, you know, business motto of, you know, the toys just going into the, the food realm. <laughs> yeah. It, it, that's Dude, it, it really is, man. I mean, I, I'm sure lessons were learned at Uberbot that dude applied to the, the, the bakery that, yeah. that worked in his favor. There's no doubt. So we've been talking for a while, guys, so uh, it's probably time we go ahead and start wrapping this up. Uh, but Vinny, if you want to go ahead and tell people where they can find you on the old internet. Uh, best place would be Instagram, and that's at Wonderland War. Uh, and uh, I updated a bunch, and you can follow me doing, you know, bird pictures now is is a thing that I'm, I fell in love with. So that's what I'm doing, right? But uh, <laughs> you can go to paperandplastic.com. You could, if you're interested in Less Than Jake, you can go to any of the streaming services and get down with the last 27 years of what the band's been up to, LessThanJake.com and Less Than Jake on all the streaming services. Other than that, man, thank you for having me. Chris? Uh, you can find me at ChrisRWK or at RobotsWillKill. Uh, only other thing I just wanted to say real quick was I wanted to thank um, Ned's Listens to uh, it's a, a new um, YouTube show where my friend has his stepson listen to punk and hardcore albums that he'd never heard before, and he gets his reaction, and he's wearing artists of different like mediums, and he's wearing one of the uh, Robots Will Kill shirts. So I want to say nice. thanks and check them out. Corey? Uh, you can find me on all the social medias at Strange Cat Toys and strangecattoys.com. And I am Travis Likens. You can find me at UBD Toys on all social media or ubdtoys.com. Uh, we want to go ahead and give one more shout out to our sponsors, Stickerfied, stickerfied.com, 
and No Love City, nolovecity.com. And this has been the Urban Robot Cat Podcast, the show about art and the people who make it. This is the old dude, Howard J. Reynolds, and you're listening to Less Than Jake. <laughs> <laughs>